Welcome to the Movie Nuts Podcast. I am your host, Rob Scheib, and I am the administrator of the closed Facebook group, The Movie Nuts, where we talk movies. And tonight, we are talking movies with one of the long-standing original Movie Nuts and a good longtime friend of mine. Welcome, Chris Shelton. Hello, Chris. Hi, Rob. Thanks for uh, having me here. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope so. Uh, Chris and I uh, watched a lot of movies together Back in the back in the eighties and the glory days, and one of our most common uh, favorite film topics is the legendary movie star, and I think movie star is the right word above perhaps even actor, but nonetheless, the legendary Duke John Wayne. Uh, Chris is a huge fan, and so am I. And we've picked out a few of of the Duke's westerns. Uh, not that he was confined to those; he made some detective films that are great, and of course, his war movies are a whole subgenre, but. The westerns are really our favorites, aren't they, Chris? Yeah, I think they they really are special. And he's developed sort of a uh, a western character that um, that not every, he does not play the same guy every time, but they seem to have certain kinds of traits. And uh, I can watch him with any John Wayne film, but a John Wayne western is special in a way that a John Wayne other film it might be pretty bad, but I'll still hang through it. <laughs> well, I mean, he 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 created an archetype that. While a lot of people, and, and you're always quick to point this out, uh, point to Stagecoach as sort of his original movie, it's really more of his star turn, because prior to that, he'd made any number of westerns, just not the one that had sort of turned the corner to the to public consciousness. Yeah, it was his 60th film, believe it or not. He had one big film in 1930, The Big Trail, with Raul Walsh's director. It's a pretty good film, actually, about the only one that's good. And then he had a bunch of these one-hour black and white film that I can watch him. I'm not sure you have a really hardcore John Wayne fan and um, they're all interchangeable sort of and his character then is is sort of a not famous yet because he really plays a celebrity character in most of his films. He's a famous guy as a gunslinger, a famous guy in some way and that's a period where he's just a regular guy and it's also a time where he's an athlete so he's a stuntman, so he's doing a lot of things where he's jumping off of things and landing on places and doing um, all his own stunt work, so you get to see him as an athlete, and again, his only period where he doesn't play a celebrity in his own movies. Well, and of course, he came to, to movies uh, after an, an injury, I believe playing football for USC, and his football career, right. but he was still a... a a great physical specimen, and even though he was unable to play football still, as you point out, I, one of the reasons that the studios loved him in all those sort of B-grade westerns was he was such a big, strong, rugged guy who wasn't afraid to do his own stunts and jump from a horse or jump from a wagon. Uh, and, you know, And he made a great stock player un- until on the scene he arrives as the Ringo Kid. Yeah, and that's John Ford, and John Ford had the audacity at the time when Westerns were just, were the idea of, the, of making an art Western seemed, um, the, at the time, seemed a little absurd, and yet, obviously, uh, it became a classic. It gave him the star turn as an anti-hero, sort of. He's allegedly the villain, but he's, he's, you know, obviously given the appealing character, and then instead of just the this action kind of things that are watchable, John Ford puts together his sound, and he's already won an Academy Award, and put together sound and the visuals that you can actually follow and then basically a little theatrical play where it's these people in a stagecoach with different personalities sort of chit-chatting back and forth. Yeah, the the byplay of the characters really is an, an early indicator of what I, I think 
is probably the, one of the most interesting aspects of, of Wayne's career. And when I use the term movie star, I, I really mean it endearingly because he was such a figure on the screen and, and off right. that if you look throughout his career, Stagecoach is kind of a precursor because al- although he's the star, if you will, it's pretty much an ensemble piece, don't you think? No, absolutely. I don't even know if he's listed first. Uh, he may be, but you're right, it is an ensemble piece, and John Carradine's given a great role. And uh, the, the woman who's really popular in time, I, for, I forget her name, but he's down. Yeah, Claire, Claire Trevor. She was, oh, there you go, Claire Trevor. She was really well-established. And then the uh, the guy that was uh, the drunk um, doctor won Academy Award, I believe, for his performance. Right. Well, so, well, and yeah, I think, they were doing a few. And, well, historically... Coach. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think historically what you see later in his career is there's a huge roster of A-list people who are fine being in yeah. these sort of ensemble pieces with the Duke to love doing it. I mean, the Rock Hudson's and Kirk Douglas's and Rod Taylor's and William Holden's of the world didn't mind towards the, the 50s and 60s being part of these little grouping casts with John Wayne, even though... William Holden could certainly carry a movie on his own, and Kirk Douglas did many times, but you got to play in these little Western ensemble cast things with John Wayne. Yeah, I can see John Wayne with all these actors and such, and, uh, and, uh, and you know, it's just, there's so many of these Westerns, and they're very good, and one of the things about Son of the Katie Elder that we are talking about is that uh, it's interesting to have a good John Wayne Western where you don't see John Ford or Howard Hawks direct her because those two certainly are the dominant forces of where you have John Wayne films that are good or certainly watchable and then the really great John Wayne films the, that I think the, the 10 or so films that really stand out and, and I probably watched I probably watch them all over and over but those are the ones that are really special you don't have to feel bad about it you go no this, this guy can act and these are good films and these are excellent directors and John Ford his main director only won, you won four Academy Awards and Spielberg hasn't done it none of them have done it just John Ford Right, uh, and the Sons of Katie Elder, along with a couple of other ones, were Henry Hathaway, which was kind of the third of, of his director yeah, phases. Yeah, um, you know, Ford, there's so much you could say about John Ford and just the way that he used the scenery and, and the West yeah. through John Ford's eyes, I think, is the West as we as moviegoers have long perceived it. John Ford's created the visual backdrop of the West as as we envision it, uh, Hawks right. was was interested in a little bit of a closer element with the way that the film looked, and I think, quite honestly, not not to discredit Henry Hathaway was just a guy that knew how to direct the Duke. <laughs> no, I, I I agree with that 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 he was a, a really competent director if you get in the right you know in the right script and stuff. While Howard Hawks. More of a guy guy, so uh, he he liked a, just a, a straightforward sort of movie. But he gets John Wayne as kinds of these themes and characters of guys 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 should you know put up with anything. They're you know they're never going to back down no matter what the odds are. Well, John Ford really liked to tell a movie and then have the epic quality. He said you see the scenery in the John Ford movie, the the music it just looks like an epic movie. And John Ford would sort of grow with these westerns because the natives are kind of really the bad guys early in his films and all of a sudden are more the victims as time moves on that the John Wayne character doesn't necessarily grow. Uh, he gets older but he, had, once he once he gets into the Rainbow Kid uh, and Stagecoach, 
he sort of got that personality for life. And, and of course, that ends with he shoots the three people that are going after him, and he has forever fame. And as I said, every John Wayne film after that, John Wayne's character is usually famous within the confines of the movie. Everyone knows, even in some case, they know who John Wayne is. He's this famous guy that everyone, nobody quite knows what he looks like, but they get a little bit scared when they find out it's him. Well, and, and I think exactly what you're talking about is a segue to what is at least arguably his most famous film, uh, one of the ones that's more widely known, and the one that unwilling Western non-loving film students are forced to watch, which is, uh, I, I would say it's John Ford and John Wayne's greatest collaboration, but you may disagree, which is, of course, The Searchers. I, I agree John Wayne. It was his favorite film. If I could only say one film in between Stage Catch, Poach, and The Searchers, and he had a lot of Westerns that I like personally. I love Angel and the Bad Man. I like Thomas I like all those. But I think the real special one in between that was Red River in 1947 with Howard Hawks. Right. Montgomery uh, Cliff is his son. Even John Ford said about it after he watched it, he said about John Wayne's performance, he goes, hey, I didn't know that big son of a bitch could act. Um, and uh, uh, I love that John Wayne's character because um, my brother is a big John Wayne fan, and he won't watch it because he doesn't like the idea that John Wayne's the villain. So I would argue John Wayne right. with Montgomery Clifton is not the villain. He's a guy who they, they only have limited resources. They've got to get this cattle to a certain place. John Wayne knows one way to do it, which is a really brutal, long path. Tell people, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But if you promise you're going to do it, you're not going to quit. Well, meanwhile, Montgomery Cliff to the younger people here, there's a shorter way to get there. They don't know that, but they're pretty sure. And John Wayne's like, no way, we're not doing that. And then when he finds out a couple of the guys want to bail on him, want to steal stuff, he decides he's not going to go to sleep anymore. He's going to drink. He's just going to um, stay awake the whole time and kind of whip these guys into, into going this long trail. He starts losing a little bit psychologically until uh, he takes a couple of the guys who stole stuff and, and took off and brings them back. And they go, well, okay. I guess you're going to shoot us. He goes, no, I'm going to hang you. And uh, that's when there's a mutiny against the John Wayne character. But but I, I always felt that John Wayne character was not a villain, that he was doing what he thought he had to do, and that sometimes what if they had taken that shortcut went wrong, you know. So I thought it was a really um, fascinating, uh, fascinating movie performance. Well, it really plays a great deal in a, in a very Western sense, uh, on, on the basic theme from Mutiny on the Bounty. Uh, right, right, the, exactly. The Montgomery Cliff character obviously being the Fletcher Christian because the the concept of duty and intent and methodology, uh, feelings of the men be damned, the, the point of the goal overcomes everything is essentially what sets Bly and Fletcher Christian off. And similarly... Right. Those decisions and the conflicts from those decisions and the bounty have, have other ramifications. In Red River, there's the stampede that kills the one hand, uh, which is a, right. a, a fairly graphic scene for the day. I mean, you don't you know see him gored specifically, but it, it's a it's a harrowing scene as as he is mowed down effectively by the herd. Again, similarly. The, the conflict of methods, I guess, would be the analogy to Mutiny on the Bounty. Right. Well, and then there's the, during the scene where the, the Montgomery Clett has the John Wayne character tied up, doesn't decide to do anything, doesn't kill him, says, you know, we're going to take a shorter route, and when we get there, you know, you'll get your share and stuff. Apparently, Howard Hawks 
directed John Wayne not to look at Montgomery Cliff without Montgomery Cliff knowing, and John Wayne goes to that growling speech of, you're weak, you should have killed me, because I'm going to kill you. And, and the way he does it without, um, without looking at, at Montgomery Cliff, you can actually see the sort of surprise on Montgomery Cliff's face. Um, he, look, he looks not so much scared, but puzzled. And, and John Wayne really delivers that line with uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of threat and hurt. That, you know, you're my, you're my son, my, my supposed son, the, the person I raised, but my own, you've now degraded me, and, and you're going to pay the price like anyone who does something like that would do. Right. No, it's 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 a very powerful movie, and it's a little bit forgotten in in the Montgomery Clift career. I mean, obviously Wayne, as he does with most films, yeah, film. dominates it. But but Clift's, you know, from here to eternity, and all the other things that would come later, it, it's a it's a bit of a forgotten great role for a very young Clift. Yeah, he had the stage reputation as his first film, and I would not think of him being in a western. And he still is a little uncomfortable in his outfit, just a, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he's but, not a very uh, rugged-looking yeah, cowboy, is he? Yeah, it's still wonderful to see him in such a good movie. So early in his career. Yeah, he, he's another actor that I, I think, unfortunately, has has fallen by the wayside just for yeah. whatever reason. I mean, his, his, his career has involved so many great movies, but not... So so many that he does he hasn't gotten the immortality, but certainly everyone that worked with him. Yeah, I know. To me, you know, he ran off a good string, placed this on all these good films uh, for her career attorney. He said, but I guess it's just he was kind of going to be the new actor, and you know, this tomorrow they're giving me on the I watch the whole TV show. They're showing the whole James Dean all day, and something happened with Marlon Brando and James Dean, who sort of took over the fifties for reputation as being the real actors, the method acting the new way of doing things, and suddenly Montgomery Cliff, still a young guy, became the old way of doing things. Um, no, you... you fresh face in Red River. Yeah, I think... I think you, Four I, years later, Marlon Brando has sort of taken over the new acting style. Yeah, I mean, you, you think you hit it on the nose. There's something very odd and ironic that Brando, whose career is, is very interesting, I mean, having gone from, again, A Mutiny on the Bounty and Julius Caesar and Guys and Dolls and The Godfather and all that is a legend for all those and numerous great performances and then on the other end of the same spectrum you have James Dean who's got three movies to his credit and he's legendary and poor Montgomery Clift is in a number of great movies in between those two and there you go yeah I know what you mean you don't watch a Montgomery Clift movie you watch a good movie and Montgomery Clift is in it but but you may watch a a Marlon Brando movie. You may watch a James Dean yeah, movie. I mean, you Rebel... watch a John Wayne movie. Right. But but not, you don't watch a Montgomery Cliff movie. You just watch a good movie. Oh, and Montgomery Cliff is in it. All right, that's it. Next, pod- star, next podcast you and I do, we're going to watch Montgomery Cliff movies and give, give him 20 minutes he deserves. Fair enough? Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> All right. Well, any closing thoughts on Red River and uh, Tom Benson and his betraying son and the cattle drive? No, just as I said, I I, uh, I I I think sometimes John Wayne. A lot of people think he can't act, and I think he's got uh, eight or nine very special performances. He's always confident, and I think that's one of his special performances. Though his performance isn't necessarily the likable guy. No, and 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 you're right, and and I think even in the in the films later on, when he, for lack of a better term, lightened up 
part of the Duke mystique yeah. is a, a very heavy sense of menace. And those early yeah. films are where that was established and allowed him to be a lighter version of that character. But that menace was still there because of, of, of these early films, uh, Stagecoach, Red River, and again, obviously, jumping again to it, the, the character of Ethan Edwards in, in The Searchers, who's hardly a nice guy by any stretch. No, in fact, you're right. In the, the, I, love, I love exactly what you're saying, that you're right. He could play a slightly lighter version of himself, but the menace is the reputation. The characters have a reputation, but then it's always Sean Wayne, and you're right, his earlier movies provided uh, a different sort of person who, who could sometimes be menacing without quite that, uh, you know, just that big... You know, he's a big guy, strapping guy, and and that alone. And later on, he's a much older version of that. But you're right; you still look back in the past, and that's maybe where the menace thing comes from. That you know, he's capable of killing. You know, he's capable of doing the things uh, that people think he might do right. if, if things go wrong. He he could he he always presented the threat that he could transfer transform from Rooster Cogburn right back to Ethan Edwards anytime it was called for. Right, right, absolutely. And that, you know, one of the also things I, I, I like about the overall John Wayne character is he's not that goody two shoes necessarily. From uh, from Liberty Valance to uh, Rio Lobo, he's willing to cheat if he has to win. And, does, and, and really is willing to do it. He's willing, if i got to kill somebody, I'm not necessarily going to let them fire on me first and miss, and then I shoot them second, which that's not the way it happened in real life. In real life, a lot of times you're taking advantage of somebody. And John Wayne character, uh, if he had to, he'd just shoot you down cold blood and say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it because I, I had to do what I had to do. Well, and, and when we get to that film, there's there's no more interesting dichotomy of the question of honor than the movie you just mentioned, which is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yeah, and, then, and the searchers, the, the menace is really there. Maybe that's that, you know, that was his favorite film, but you're right. Throughout that film, he's menacing. He's menacing to the people that are on his side. When those people first, you know, go out to try to help, you know, with his family and kin, and then they end up getting ambushed and such. John would like, you know, he kill all of them if they ever did something stupid like that again. And then they have limited supplies, and they ask some of his. Goes, nope. And gives them like a couple things of water, sort of slaps it at him, and tells them, you know, you're on your own headed back. And and, and quite frankly, you ever mess. With my family, and with your stupidity, uh, I'll kill all of you too. You know, they're the menaces. He's menacing everybody. He's menacing. He's going to kill Natalie Wood. <laughs> he's really to kill. He hates the guy that he's traveling with the whole time. Uh, yeah, he, he basically uh, spends the entire movie being as unpleasant as humanly possible to Jeffrey Hunter, who's only yeah, traveling Hunter. across the countryside with him. Yeah, and he's vicious with Jeffrey Hunter. The whole time they're together, it's like, how in the world can you even handle being around this John Wayne character who's always in a bad mood, always willing to hunt down anything, so single-focused, and at the same time, they're calling you nothing, but uh, every race is named the book for being an ace Indian or whatever it is. Right. Well, and, and for those who unluckily have not yet seen it, let, let me recap real quickly. The Searchers sure. is essentially... John Wayne's character returns from the end of the Civil War, although he says repeatedly he didn't actually surrender. And his niece, played ultimately by by Natalie Wood, has been taken by the Comanches in a Comanche raid that killed his brother and family. And he sets off on a 
I don't think you can use any other word, but purely obsessive quest to find her. And along with him comes, I'm not sure exactly what <laughs> their actual, a semi-nephew played by Jeffrey Hunter goes with him. More than anything, I think, because he's worried that John Wayne's intention is to find Natalie Wood, who who has been taken as a squaw right. by the Comanche, and potentially exterminate her. So he travels with John Wayne as much helping him track the Comanche tribe as to hopefully intercede at whatever point they actually do find little Debbie, uh, as, as she has said. It's a John Ford Western, so if you want to see what John Ford can do with the Southwest and the mountains and color, this is the movie for you. And it's really an interesting film because uh, John Wayne, I don't even know he's an anti-hero. I think he's really almost a villain. He's going after a villain, the the native chief who ordered the family exterminated and kidnapped both the, the Natalie Wood character and her sister. But right. you have John Wayne, not that different than the guy he's hunting. They're both racist. They both can speak multiple languages. They both are very hard-headed. And the John Wayne character is, is so hard-headed that it's just his way or the highway when it comes to everything. So it comes to the point where the Natalie Wood sister character, Lucy, is raped and murdered. And John Wayne is furious about it. He's almost accepting that this happened. While ultimately, toward the end, the Natalie Wood character turns out she's alive and that she's had sex with natives and is willing to go back and live with them. And then at that point, she's no longer the white woman that's his niece, who he can respect. She's now a tramp. And so he has no hesitation to pull out his gun and just execute her on the spot. But the Jeffrey Hunter character, that's his, uh, you know... Uh, Adopted blood, sister, yeah. And the Jeffrey Hunter character, no, I'm not going to let you do it. And uh, and uh, it's it's a, it's a scary scene, but it's just the the John Wayne character. It's just he has he has in his mind what he's going to do, and just doesn't really care what anybody thinks. And the the, the cast, I think maybe one of the saddest endings ever, because this quest is supposed to be a family quest. He's he's doing this for the family honor, and uh, when all said and done. The, the family all gets together and sort of couples and sort of seems they have a happy ending and then it realizes, John Wayne realizes he's not welcome. These people don't want him to be part of the family and that right. while he's been protecting the family honor, he's ultimately protecting something that he's not a part of. Neither is he not welcome, but he simply notices that, realizes that, turns around and sort of walks back alone. It's like, well, now what are you going to do with your life? No, I, I, I think you, you hit on the essence of it. And of course, the film ends with the iconic shot of his silhouette in the doorway, but he has gone from the obsessive uh, loyalty to the Confederacy that has lost right. and, supple and and replaces it with the obsession, which they don't really tell you, but the inference is that this, this chase to find Natalie Wood, to find Debbie, takes years. And, yeah. and consumes like him. Five years, but I'm not sure they find it exactly. Yeah, I don't think they would tell you, but the, the only hint is that Vera Miles gets a little older throughout the yeah. movie as the as the daughter. But but you really hit on the the sort of ultimate portion of the ending that that makes the the movie uh, just the ending is so great because unlike so a lot tragic. of ambiguous endings, the ambiguity of this ending isn't. What happens, it is literally 
Now what does Ethan do? Yeah, exactly. Because he's... With, with, all he really right. knows, he, the only thing he knows when it comes to affection or love is really his love and affection for vengeance. Right, it's uh, killing yeah, people for... He it's, hunts down right. an enemy. Yeah, it's, it's killing people or defending honor with violence. And now that he has right. rescued her and the, and the war has ended, what does Ethan Edwards do with the rest of his life? Because yeah, he turns into what again is a later John Lane character who doesn't ever appear. I mean, sometimes he's a rancher or a former rancher or something, but right. he's a guy that really travels town to town, sort of uh, like a tumbleweed. He kind of just bounces right. into a place, right. creates but, hell while he's there, and then bounces into a new place. Right. And the isolation of the ending tells you exactly what you're saying: is that he's not really a part of this reunion. Now, have you ever heard the the, no. the Steven Spielberg reference to the Searchers? No. He always claimed that he believed that the scene in the Searchers was the most harrowing moment in a movie he ever watched. Was as the moment at which Jeffrey Hunter can't catch up to John Wayne, and John Wayne gets within an arm's reach of Natalie Wood, and you have the the half a second where they exchange glances, and you're not sure. Yeah. Holy crap, is he going to shoot her? And he grabs her and picks her up, and she's completely at his mercy to break her neck or whatever. And she sa- and he, then he says, Debbie, let's go home. And Spielberg... Yeah, you know, that is. Yeah. That, you're right. That is a, a dramatic scene where he, he could have killed her and didn't. And, and it's no special the first time you watch it, because after you watch it the first time, you know what's going to happen, which you can still enjoy it. But you're right, that first time as it happens, yeah. you do think at that moment... The Jeffrey Hunter character didn't save her, and that he he's so hellbound that you just you think he might kill her, which is which he just brutal to kill this young girl. Um, for but your, it, your, but your it's certainly crazy, not out of the question. Thought. I mean, it's it's certainly not out of the question that he might. You you don't yeah. doubt for. I mean, it would have been awful, but had he shot her, it would not have been a surprise, right? It, it, it would not have been a surprise, and it would not have been popular with. And he stands, unfortunately, that's, wanting to turn out a certain way. That's right, fair. Right. It wouldn't have been shocking. It wouldn't have been a surprise, but it, it ultimately, his say worked out the sad way it, it needed to work out. And, right. um, well, uh, it, and, and yeah. I've seen Natalie Wood and other things. Unfortunately, she's an actress that is, tends to be in a lot of good movies, so she's not always special. And she's not always special in this one, but, but she is good, and I'm glad she's in it because uh, I like Natalie Wood. Well, yeah, I, I, always, I always thought Natalie Wood, yeah, too. Uh, well, it really the the film really defines in in a very almost Shakespearean manner. Ethan ends up as a purely tragic character. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and the other special thing about this film is that they have a lot of these John Wayne guys, you know, character actors that you see in quite a few films. Right. And this time they all are special. They're all given Ford Bond's given a little bit more to do, mm-hmm. and and the other ones uh, all given just enough that they have a sort of findable personality or at least go, okay, it's good to see them. Have you ever heard the Buddy Holly connection to this movie? This is funny, too. Uh, I do know it. I do know it. I give that question to people. What's the the number one song that came from that film? Right, because because when when challenged, John Wayne, Ethan Edwards, says, that'll be the day. And Buddy Holly loved that and turned it into, into his pop song, which, that'll be the day. And it is kind of interesting because I never, it, until unless Buddy Holly had done that, I didn't realize in a sense that that is 
that had his hand looked like a pop movie where choruses were turning over and over again. But you're right, the that'll be the day is, is several times in the movie uh, always to comical or threatening or it had different um, tones to it. But right. yeah, it's repeated several times. Yeah, it's... Less successfully, they did another John Wayne films too. And you think, oh, they're just copying The Searchers. But it's probably most effective in The Searchers. Right. Well, there, there's a certain irony to it because of the seemingly endless nature of their of their quest to save her that'll be the day well hell when will be the day <laughs> they've been chasing after her yeah. for years what what day are we talking about yeah <laughs> yeah they said that it's, it's given a different sort of context each time he says it um uh so uh um, yeah, and it just said a lot, a lot of good supporting characters. I always find it interesting because I didn't know for quite a while that Festus from Gunsmoke is the the boyfriend who longs to be the Vera Myers character all the years, and I'm just so used to that actor right. using that accent on Gunsmoke that he's unrecognizable to me uh, in that role. And um, and Jeffrey Hunter is the guy who, like Montgomery Cliff, got tortured like Montgomery Cliff, but died young and um, had yes. a, you know, a big kind of a, a rising star. Um, and um, ultimately, he's remembered really for the searchers and the Star Trek pilot, even though he played Jesus and had you know other big yeah, King of Kings, the sure. searchers remained well, a big one. Well, you know, his wife legendarily told him not to not to sign on to be the fi- the ultimate captain of Star Trek. She hated the pilot and said, "Don't do it." And that's that's why. Well, you know, and, 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 and I, you got to see when you watch that that pilot, and I like Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter's so so good in the Searchers that he just played it like any of these old fiction, all these commanders, no motions, no nothing. Right. And that I don't know if the show would have succeeded with Jeffrey Hunter, oh. uh, William Shatner, whatever you'll think of him, came in there with a dry sense of humor and giving the cap the sense of humor interplayed with these other characters. So I think Jeffrey Hunter was ultimately they, they managed to mix it into a good two part Star Trek episode. Right. Um, but uh, he would not have, I don't think the show would have been successful if Jeffrey Hunter had actually won that lead. But, um, but, but, I, I, I don't disagree. Uh, it's just a funny quirk of things, how those things work, you know? Yeah, chemistry and such. Well, moving from. Uh, from the searchers, I believe the next one chronologically, but you're you're the better chronologist than I, would be one that you and I both love that that comes with a lot of these issues that we've talked about, and again features a fabulous cast around the Duke, which would be the man who shot Liberty Valance. Right, and let we can also do Rio Bravo and and Rio Lobo at once. We can do that later. Right. But Rio Bravo, but, uh, Rio Lobo, and El Dorado—three three movies of the same yeah, movie. El Dorado, El Dorado. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But 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 sixty two was the Man of Shot Liberty Valance, and yeah, I thought that was another uh, of the really special ones by John Ford, and um, and uh, just uh, great performance by Jimmy Stewart. And, and the question is about who shot this man who shot Liberty Valance. Do you think the person that did it, the Jimmy Stewart character, a guy, a guy from the East, didn't know much about the West, the guy who was very, a lawyer who was going to bring law and order, not through guns and violence, but through the law, and ultimately winds up supposedly killing the Lee Marvin character, a great performance, uh, who plays Liberty Valance and gains a lot of fame from it, but ultimately has tremendous guilt because he knows he didn't really kill Liberty Sound. It was a John Wayne character that did it, and he has to hold it within himself and then finally decide to tell the truth to a couple of newspaper reporters, and then they have to decide whether they want to report the truth or not report, or, or go with the lie. 
Right. Well, and, you and know, spill the ending. The ending is they decide to go with the lie. Right. When the when the truth when the legend becomes the truth, print the legend. Right. So the movie really is John Wayne's character, even though he's given the lead name. It's, it's really the supporting character. It's really Jimmy Stewart's movie, but uh, it's a great supporting character uh, because the John Wayne character, I think, especially with romance, when it comes to the Vera Miles character. Uh, he doesn't really want to express love feelings. I mean, he's a good guy. He's going to give this woman a good home. You know, he's going to be a defender of her and stuff. But he can't project romance. He can't project love feelings. He can't realize a woman's need. And this woman ultimately falls for the Jimmy Stewart character. And, uh, and the John Wayne character has to sort of learn this. And and, and uh, can have a chance with, with the, the Liberty Valance character decides he's just going to kill the Jimmy Stewart character by having a, letting, letting him draw a gun. And, uh, and Liberty Valance easily killed the Jimmy Stewart character, and that would solve really a lot of John Wayne's problem. But then John Wayne yeah. decided to be hard-headed, says, this is my opportunity, and just fires and kills Liberty Valance in cold blood because he can get away with it, and then lets the Jimmy Stewart character take the credit for it. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's and a, his life is ruined by it. John Wayne's character's life, again, is right. completely ruined by a really hard-headed decision to commit murder, um, and... and he could have been the guy that was famous and uh, could have had the girl, could have had really everything, but but something in his, whatever made him tick as far as morality, decided it was better for everyone if the Jimmy Stewart character got the, got, he at least got credit for the kill. Right. But then when he learns that he loses his girl too, he just completely loses it in a way that you don't expect. Comes, you know, ultimately becomes a raging alcoholic, destroys the home that he was going to build for her, his life is ruined, and then toward the end, he's really just a drunk who no longer carries a gun, who nobody thinks is anything. He's just an average guy on the street. And then he dies, and they throw him in a box and take the boots off him, because why would a dead man need boots? Right. Well, I mean, it, it's really very, very far from a, a, a prototypical Western. Uh, with, with Jimmy Stewart's Eastern yeah. lawyer, Ransom Stoddard, comes west to the Utah Territory to hang a shingle, and he re- sees the lawlessness of the West, which is curiously represented on both ends, really. The outlaw, yeah. played by Lee Marvin, Liberty Valance, represents the worst of it. And frankly, though, I have to respect anyone whose gang is comprised of Strother Martin and Lee Van Cleef. I mean, if you're going to have henchmen... Yeah. That's a solid couple of henchmen. I mean, I assume Clint Eastwood was on vacation at that point. But but at any rate, odd, oddly, the fact that there's only one person in the area that Liberty Valance fears is what keeps the peace. And that, that character is... Uh, is uh, the John uh, Wayne character, yeah. Yeah, Tom Donovan, Tom, who's the John Wayne character. Tom Donovan. Yeah, and that's really the only truce is that Liberty Valance knows... Whatever too far is, if he ever goes there, Wayne can take him. But Wayne has no inclination yeah. to do it until this circumstance occurs. And the John Wayne character has a, a puzzling relationship with his best friend, his almost his servant, uh, and really his only friend, right. which is the, Poppy, the, the Woody character. Woody, Woody Strode, yeah, right. Poppy. Right, Brady Strobe, who, who played UCLA football with Jackie Robinson, so he was an athlete. But that they both have each other's back, and and that's the extra person that that Lee Marvin has to be aware of. 
because uh, the Poppy character will kill. He's a kind guy, but he knows also that this is bad news, and if if they've got to kill these guys straight out, they're just going to do it. Um, and he's a much more measured. The, the Tom Donovan character almost sometimes is willing to, you know what, let's just get this thing over with, while the Poppy character is always restrained, but, but certainly, um, you, 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 right. unless you take him out, he's going to take you out. Well, and ultimately, when he goes through his breakdown, Poppy pulls him from the burning house. Yeah, he does. Poppy saves his life, and, 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 the, and the scene starts out with, the John Wayne death, that's his only friend left, that, that everybody else has pretty much left his life. He doesn't even remember who he was, so he stayed with him the whole time. And then there there is the scene that after Poppy saved his life, the John Wayne character goes into town to purposely be in a really bad mood and, and to face these two characters that are Liberty Valance's friends um, and throw them around a little bit. Right. But there's a scene where the Poppy, the black character, walks into the bar and the bartender says, Starts to say, you know, you had, you know, black people want a lot of drink here, and the John Wayne character slams his fist down and says, he says he can't, you know, and then uh, um, starts, you know, he's uh, wild-eyed at that point. You've never seen him under alcoholism so so out of his mind that he that he's a ticking time bomb. Right. Well, you know, reading about that movie, it's interesting because there's a lot of of reporting that John Ford did not want John Wayne to play that character. And he felt that it would it would change the dynamic too much and that Ford treated Wayne terribly uh, on the set because he just was, was tired of him playing the John Wayne character and whatever. But I guess my thought on that, and, and tell me what you think, is Lee Marvin yeah. is so good as Liberty Valance. I mean, he is oh, yeah, so awful and menacing... If you don't have John Wayne as the Tom Donovan character, I don't think you believe that that character could possibly kill Lee Marvin. Yeah, I, I think it would be tough to have somebody that could stand up to him. Even if you had somebody that could that have the acting ability to stand up to him, let's say a, say a Gregory Peck or William Holden, I've never seen them lose it emotionally, like John Wayne was willing to lose it emotionally. So I think John Wayne both could stand up to Lee Marvin, and quite frankly, he could do the breakdown scene. And you never really see Gregory Peck lose it like that, just completely lose it. He's sloppy yeah. losing it. And so the John Wayne actor really can command and tap the more emotions than you think um, than most people give him credit for. Uh, and um, and then just uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart again offers the absolutely perfect contrast to everything. Right. Uh, you both are, you know, crazy willing to shoot each other for what point, and, and right. um, it's just, it's so special when he plays the good guy, the bad guy, whatever he plays. And um, you're right, the chemistry between those three people, Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne, and Lee Marvin, is very special. And then Vera Miles does a terrific job in the in the female role. A lot of times the female role with John Wayne can be a little downplayed at times, and this time her character yeah. um, is a major player. Yeah, she. I mean, she's a catch. She is She is yeah. the woman in, uh, oh, what's the name? It's... it's Still water, salt water. It's got a very simplest. Oh, shinbone. Um, she right. is she is the the prize lady of, of of there. But I agree, and I think it goes back to part we were talking about before. Is even though this is many years later, the John Wayne aura of of the searchers and the stagecoach and Red River by just being John Wayne, you've little doubt that if pushed to a certain degree. He can be 
the meanest, nastiest, fastest gun, whatever he needs to be. And that's the character that has to be available that Lee Marvin would be afraid of. And yeah, you're right, you, you could do a Gregory Peck or a Henry Fonda. Maybe the only other person who might match that kind of energy might have been a Kirk Douglas. But John Wayne just gets it for free, right? I mean, John Wayne walks yeah. up with that that bizarre, stilted you know, walk and leans over with the, those squinted eyes and says, I don't think this is going to happen today. And everyone in the theater goes, yeah, he's not going to let that happen today. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and one thing, you know, it's always interesting about the John Wayne character is he doesn't really know how to relate in any romantic way with the girl, yet he's always a gentleman with women. He's a, a chivalrous guy. I don't even know he's much for chauvinist. He really has respect for women, but he just doesn't know how to how to be romantic or anything. Um, and uh, so it really frustrates him in this role with this woman that he clearly loves, but he doesn't know how to tap into her feelings in any way. He doesn't even know what matters, that a woman has these kinds of feelings. She's a woman who doesn't know how to read English. She's just kind of grateful to be where she is with her mom and dad. And here comes this lawyer talking big words and, and dreams of, hey, you know what, we're going to find a way to build water rights. Now, irrigation, there's going to be plants everywhere. And she's like, wow, plants, flowers, and things like that. The Jimmy Stewart character can understand that stuff without really looking weak, though. Lee Martin calls him a waitress. <laughs> but but the John Wayne <laughs> right. character doesn't understand any of that. He's a guy's guy. He doesn't understand. Well, who cares about irrigation for flowers? Maybe the irrigation for clean water, but, um, you know, it just he just doesn't relate on that kind of level of women's feelings. Well, and I, I think from a, a narrative standpoint, the Vera Miles character is effectively Utah. Uh, going with John Wayne is to stay the same. To go with James Stewart yeah. is to learn to read and to become a part of the world, much as allowing the illusion that James Stewart is a hero allows him to become the governor and a senator and makes Utah grow. Vera Miles is sort of the personification of that growth, whereas with, yeah, with, right. Right, with Wayne, he loves her, but they would simply be... And with Stewart, she can become. She wouldn't grow. The Jimmy Stewart character, with all this talk of a, of a city and a and a nation growing, includes her growth, her personal growth. You're absolutely right. I never think of it exactly that way, but you're absolutely right. She sees with Jimmy Stewart the growth of the territory, her personal growth, and with John Wayne, you're right. She's just going to always be the same. A girl who never learns how to read. Um, she'll no longer actually just be her, her the wife. Um, a nice place to live, very safe, but she won't grow as a person, and in a sense will die with him. And effectively, Wayne trades his life to create that opportunity for her, specifically, and then ultimately for the territory. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, what it's, it's, it's what's interesting is that it's one of the times where they don't do this many times in Western where, again, when the John Wayne character kills the Liberty Valance character, there's none of that. The bad guy draws first and misses, and then the good guy shoots them. No, in this case, the good guy just shoots him in cold blood right. and, and ultimately says, I can live with that. Right, right. It, it's, a, it's a great movie, and really, it's a, it, it's, to me, it's a Western in you know, nonspecific characterization. It's not a shoot 'em up it's it's not no. jumping on your horses and we'll head them off at the pass it's a very it's a very human movie 
where people just happen to be wearing hats and guns compared to what you might think of when when you look at the cover of the DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever and you see John Wayne in the 10-gallon hat and and the you know the bolo tie and all that it's it's much more of a of a human movie than it is a a classic western but boy a great great movie and again of course a, a John Ford John Wayne collaboration so that's that's one if you haven't seen it and you don't love westerns per se i give that yeah, one a I shot you can you can maybe not like westerns and still possibly like the film and that the dominant character is probably more of a sporting character. It's really Jimmy Stewart's movie, mm-hmm. uh, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that the other part of sort of top reference frame, which has always lasted, is that the character they call him the Duke. So all the impressions of John Wayne are a lot of times coming from that movie. Right, so, well, that's where he uses uh, the word pilgrim for the first time. Yeah, Pilgrim, yeah, right, Pilgrim, and that kind of talk. So when you do all the impressions of John Wayne, a lot of times they're ultimately parroting that performance and that character. That's that's the Rich Little version of John Wayne, is called Everybody Pilgrim, right. which is what he calls uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, because he is a pilgrim. He has come from the, he has traveled from, he's made a pilgrimage from the east to the west out to there. But yeah, the, the phrase hey, Pilgrim... It's Rich Little that parodied it and with the Pilgrim talk, and then everybody parodied Rich Little's performance. We're we're really dating ourselves. About half the people listening don't have any idea who in the hell Rich Little is, but that's all right. Someday they won't know who Johnny Carson was either. (laughs) He was a famous impressionist of his day, and you saw him in everything, and and then he's disappeared for a lot of years, except I believe he's still alive. You know, I don't know. He was, of course, one of Johnny Carson's favorite Tonight Show guests because he was so good at keeping topical with his impressions. But anyway... Famous for, he could pull off John Wayne, famous for his Richard Nixon, and then every time he borrowed his Richard Nixon, they, um, uh, but yeah, that was, that was one of his, was the Pilgrim character that from Liberty Valance, and then that's really become sort of the iconic John Wayne, if you're going to carry John Wayne, that's still where you go back to, it's really that right. Liberty Valance character. With the staccato delivery and all that sort of stuff. Right, right. The swagger sort of, too. Right. Well... And you said the way he walked... If you put Henry Fonda, you put somebody else, they all could be great, but John Wayne has a certain way to gait when he walks, a certain thing that he does, certain mannerisms mm-hmm. that, um, that are all his own. Right, and, and it, it's, it's an odd way of moving. I have no idea if that was because of the knee injury or if he was not neat or whatever, but he, he always walks like he, he just sat down on a thumbtack or something. But, it be, <laughs> you know, it became as much a trademark. I think you're right, you're right. it could be. I never thought about that gay walk could be the, the, the knee injury all those years, and it's just from the way he, but it, the way he walked. It became as much a, a part of his persona, though, that sort of lumbering with those goofy little bitty steps type of a walk, but it was all part of that that persona that that worked right. so well in so many movies. Uh, and one that we you alluded to earlier which I, I can't honestly explain, but has just always been one of my favorites, which comes post-Liberty Valance, but in the time frame where I think it's fair to say uh, he had become a particular John Wayne character that he, he pretty much played. We had come up with what we expected John Wayne to be, and he played that character yeah. through all, uh, a considerable sequence of films, but I've always loved, and I can't explain it, the Sons of Katie Elder. This is the end of part one of the podcast with Chris and I, because it got so long. 
Uh, look for part two here shortly where we'll talk about the Sons of Katie Elder and more movies by John Wayne, the legendary Duke. Uh, thanks for listening. And I appreciate everybody checking this out both on Facebook and now we are on iTunes for download. So I will sign off for now. And again, thanks for listening. And part two of the conversation about Westerns and John Wayne with Chris Shelton will be upcoming. Thanks. Thanks.